the kind of things that we suffer are so collective and specific to our race that we feel like we're trying to climb up. It's kind of like, you know, let's say you're at a wedding mm-hmm. and uh, and the people are getting married and the bride's side has an uncle that's drunk and belligerent. Well, the bride side is going to see like that's a reflection of the whole family Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because she belongs to this particular group and that's what's happened to black people as a whole we suffer the problems that plague us as a group like gangs my brother is not in the gang but that doesn't stop uh people from outside his way specifically policemen and other people from viewing him as a potential gang member so it's like it's hard to separate an individualized behavior Mm -hmm. within the african-american community and not have it reflect on the entire race hello welcome to meet the shoe I'm Sade. I'm Nina. And we are here with a new episode today. And we have the lovely Naomi. I met her a long time ago in our time doing prison in Shakopee facility. And we're gonna she's gonna talk about her life, what's going on after prison, and her new book that she wrote. She has a lot in store. Just a really great story about you know, being in prison, getting out, coming out full circle, and just doing her thing and doing great things in life. All Welcome right. to our show, Naomi. Thank you, guys. I thank you for having me. I'm so excited for this. It's not often um, that people want to hear what happens behind the walls. I think now in the day and age we're, uh, we're having is uh, it's evident that there's a problem with policing in our community. But mm-hmm. as a whole, we think it, that's just the start of a journey um, for our brothers and sisters and people who are incarcerated. We forget that that is the beginning of the process the encounter with law enforcement on the streets but we don't think and I I guess it's not really at the forefront of my mind right now understandably but still we like to speak on um, the George Floyd situation and other um, deadly encounters with the police that happen with our people Um, but how many of George Floyd survived the the knee on the neck and got processed and went through the system and there they remain um, in a prison cell Mm -hmm. in a prison uh, facility. Um, So I'm just here to talk about, you know, that uh, before uh, that I also went through that that journey, which is a very uh, soul-killing and um, spirit-killing process to go through the judicial system, Um, even if you come out and even if for a short amount of time. one of my favorite MCs, Keith Murray, said to all my females in the prison, stay strong. Any day locked up is a day too long. It is. Yes, it and is. And so, uh, well, what happened with me, um, a lot of triggers have to do with mental illness. Uh, mental illness has been, like, we kind of been, I've been hearing a lot more mm-hmm. um, because celebrities I have been experiencing from Tamar Braxton and, you know, recently uh, yes. uh, Kanye West. Um, it is a subject that is not readily talked about in our community, mm-hmm. and there's several reasons for that one re- two reasons that come at the forefront of my mind number one black pain uh, when someone starts to say oh, I'm depressed and they're talking to someone in their family or a friend um, in the african-american community you don't have time to say you know what I need help mm-hmm 
a lot of that is looked at as a weakness, first of all, especially from black women. Um, but when you say, like, I need help, or girl, I'm so depressed, I don't know what to do, you're immediately diminished. Girl, we all got the uh, things going on. Everybody's struggling. You got to pick yourself up. Come on now. We ain't got time for this. You a strong black woman. You got to just keep it going. Like, you got these kids, and you, we need you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're met with those kind of response. And then, so people usually don't speak out if they know they're going to be met. And so what happens, they internalize their struggle mentally and they go within, which is the worst place you can do. It's kind of like putting, um, you know, a bomb in a canister mm-hmm. and having it explode or putting it, keeping a lid on a, a pot of boiling water. Mm-hmm. It's eventually going to come to the surface and basically damage both the pot and anything around it. Right. Yeah. So that's usually what happens. And then the second reason I feel, um, that black people don't acknowledge or have conversations about mental health is because we're targeted as a race of having so many problems and so many issues within our community, black on black crime, um, mass incarceration, police brutality and genocide, um, health issues. We don't want to own another flaw as a group of people. We don't want to acknowledge that yet another problem plagues us as a community more than the other ones we have. Perfect Mm -hmm. example being, let's let's say something um, happens on the news and we're just hearing the report. Like, let's say a a police shooter, you know, someone that's doing a bunch of shootings and, you know, we we saw that with the, uh, the, 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 um, uh, the shootings a, a couple while ago where a man and a young man um, shooting people. The, mm-hmm. the sharpshooters, yeah. I forget what the name of them was. They had a little name. But we immediately go, oh, I hope they're not black. Mm-hmm. And why right. do we do that? We do that because we don't want another damn problem. We don't right. want another thing that's wrong with us because right. it reflects and we feel it reflects on, on, all, the, of on all of us. Right. As we're trying to climb ourselves up out of this pit of historical injustices that began um, with slavery and have just basically gotten worse in my mm-hmm. opinion. So why, why do we do that? Why do we take a situation from someone else put being of, of color and put it on ourselves mm-hmm. and make it our problem when it's I mean that's the individual individualized should be yeah but that's that, the thing we suffer the kind of things that we suffer are so collective and specific to our race that we feel like we're trying to climb up it's kind of like you know let's say you're at a wedding mm-hmm. and uh, and the people are getting married and the bride side has an uncle that's drunk and belligerent. Well, the bride side is going to see like that's a reflection of the whole family mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because she belongs to this particular group. And that's what's happened to black people as a whole. We suffer the problems that plague us as a group, like gangs. My brother is not in the gang, but that doesn't stop uh, people from outside his way, specifically policemen and other people from viewing him as a potential a gang, gang member. Right. Mm-hmm. So right. it's like, it's hard to separate an individualized behavior mm-hmm. within the African-American community and not have it reflect on the entire race. Right. Okay. And so what, in the state of the world that it is right now, what would you say, have we come any further from, let's say, the time that... Um, before you were incarcerated do you see any change like from the time you were incarcerated before you were incarcerated 
during your incarceration and now being released? What changes as far as even society, just society, as far as the system or, you know, do you see any hope for the future? Do you think that um, as a whole, uh, anything that will, you know, do better as far as us, you know? Where there has been some areas of progress, I won't lie, there, there have been areas of progress with regard to, um, I would say, the awareness mm-hmm. about certain things and having the courage to come out and say against those things. I think the generation, like my children's generation, Gen um, Z, he, Gen Z <laughs> they are not with the BS. And I think right. social media has allowed people the freedom to express themselves mm-hmm. and be met with people who agree, whether it's giving them a like or sharing your post, just from those little seeds have sown and people feel like, I got something to say and damn it, you're going to hear it. Right. And so whether you, you like it or not. So I, I see how social media has really made people more comfortable expressing how they feel about a current event or an event that's, uh, or other um, occurrence that's happening within the media, the news, celebrity, people are having the feeling to express more. Where I feel like we still have room to go is that that topic of mental health and mental wellness and mental illness is not being broached enough. I made a video on my Facebook page on July 4th, this past July 4th, which was the anniversary of my son's death, um, and talked about how nothing's changed, at least enough. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that, 9-11 was kind of my triggering event for for my mental breakdown. And, And so I can only imagine the Naomi Gaineses that's sitting at home right now and dealing with a multiple of triggering events, coronavirus and lock-in, what's going on in the world politically, what's going on in our streets socially. These things have a way of affecting the mind and damaging and the trauma experienced from everything that's going on right now without little or no support or acknowledgement of that pain and that story in the media mm-hmm. or if even if you can when they made people stay at home I imagine a lot of things came brewed up to the surface and I've heard um, that hospitalizations have increased for people being depressed suicide rate has gone up domestic um, violence domestic violence because um, people are spending more time at home and mm-hmm. with their spouse yeah um, and so it is a lot going on and these triggering events I had one triggering event and, and I guess the world did too but in a sense for someone who has a precondition predisposed to mental health that that was like the tipping point oh mm-hmm. the world is going to end and look because they blew up those planes yeah. well what if people who have a mental illness saying now yes the world is ending because there's plagues mm-hmm. and there's wars and rumors of wars and these people are killing us there is not a lot of room for hope and help in that environment, in this kind of poisonous, psychologically poisonous environment. Poisonous environment. So Mm -hmm. it's like, um, I just, I just know a lot is being, is being done and a lot Mm -hmm. is not being done. And people are really hurting. If, right. And in addition, you're going to pile the last little leaf on there that is the straw that's breaking the proverbial back of women and, and black women in our community. The financial. Mm. Yes. The loss of jobs. The loss of monetary support. And they may get their support or give support to their family members and that has not been going on. 
now. So you have all these things that are really, really impacting the community and nobody's talking about it. So what is your suggestion to the community um, or just anyone that has a family member that's, you know, deals with um, mental health issues, a person that's dealing with mental health issues, what would be your suggestion in our society today, what they can do to make themselves feel better, make themselves have, you know, not, I guess, strike out to, you know, harm themselves or someone else. What do you suggest that they could do or should do? Find someone you trust and who is safe to share your feelings with. And here's the rub. It might not be someone in your family. Mm -hmm. It might not be your spouse. It might not be anybody that you're related to. Mm -hmm. But you got to reach out because we can only help you if you reach out. And I understand the apprehension about reaching out to people who don't look like you. That is a huge barrier to getting treatment Mm -hmm. and help for your Mm -hmm. mental health. But find a safe person to talk to. It could be your your GP, your general practitioner or someone in the community and who's not going to judge you, who's actually going to listen. And if you don't know anybody like that, look on the hotline. NAMI is a good resource. I used to work for two years for NAMI Minnesota, which stands for the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And while they don't provide direct care, they have a plethora of services and phone numbers and resources for you to reach out to where you can get the help you need. You do not need to suffer in silence. Mm-hmm. But if you don't get what, what is within, it will destroy you without. So make sure you find a safe place, a safe person, or just look up and have a safe number to call. Mm-hmm. and reach out. That's the number one thing. You have to reach out for help. And um, if you feel like you're not safe or your children are not safe, tell somebody, scream to the top of your lungs if somebody won't help you. And if no other number comes to your mind and you don't have internet access, your phone cut off, which is really a reality of what's going on right. because of the financial uh, depression that we're in mm-hmm. right now, pick up the phone and call 911 and say, I don't feel safe with myself or my children. Mm-hmm. I wish I wish I didn't wait to the last minute until it was already too late to start reaching out for help. And I understand the reasons for not reaching out for help. I've been through them. I've I've said them. I've had those reasons. Mm -hmm. But you don't want to do something either to yourself or someone you love and have it be too late and live with the guilt and shame that accompanies something so a tragedy like that you don't want a part no part to that so what are some of the things that you did to help yourself overcome some of the things that you were going through as far as um dealing with you know judgment um you know shame guilt what are the things that you do or have done to make yourself feel better because you look wonderful (laughs) and your body of work since your incarceration is like immaculate (laughs) and what can you like encourage a man or a woman as far as you know your strength because since you're I'm just meeting you now and just watching you know some of your work and just hearing some of your story from her from Sade um what is it that you can tell the viewers the listeners what they can do as far as what you you know is what the things that you went through and overcame yeah that's a good question and I'm glad you asked that 
And I'm glad you asked that for this reason. The loneliest time I had was going to segregation for a mm-hmm. suicide attempt. Mm-hmm. Being in that dark cell with no clothes, they give you the jumpsuit, the pickle suit or the banana suit, that's what people call them, mm-hmm. which is a tear-proof jumpsuit along with a tear-proof blanket. You're not even getting toilet paper. And in that room, at night, stripped away of pen and paper, stripped away of ability to reach out and call my family, mm-hmm. stripped away of everything but my own thoughts. Mm-hmm. The thing that sustained me is going to be different for everybody, but what sustained me in those lonely nights was music. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. The music I had heard prior to mm-hmm. coming to prison, for, for example, Karis one has a song called I Will Make It. Mm-hmm. He also has a song called Never Give Up, and those songs played in my mind. Mm-hmm. You know, and I heard the verses over voices of him singing the music played so crisp and clearly in my head as if the CD player and the radio was in there with me. Mm-hmm. So that dark night of the soul is what they call that. Mm. Literally, that's what it was for me. You, That is like the point. It's actually the tipping point that will decide your fate after the next day comes. Right. Either you're going to go here, giving up, completely or you're going to push past and push forward and pull through that dark night Mm -hmm. and so everyone has something it could be what your grandmother used to say to you or kind word or compliment or something or a happy memory that is the remedy for me Mm -hmm. is to bring back the memories of good times in my life of the love I felt from someone of the hug that I couldn't feel from my mother's arms it is something that has to sustain you, which really, I want. I was the one that went on the left. I was the one who pushed through that night, that dark night of the soul. Mm-hmm. And the next morning, it was the sunshine, so bright. I have never seen um, better sunshine the next day than that. Okay. And every day since that, I knew that what I did, that that music that I heard in my mind mm-hmm. from KRS-One, that song, Never Give Up and I Will Make It, I knew that from that point on, I wanted to make music like that. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make music that if I heard it and I felt horrible and I felt like giving up and dying, that would make somebody think twice about doing that and give them the hope to divide the next second after the next second after. Because sometimes moment to moment is too long. Mm-hmm. If you can't take minute by minute, hour by hour, do second by second. And that's what I need. You can travel from here, where we are in Minnesota, to all the way to California in pitch black with only 200 feet that you can see with your headlights in front of you. All you gotta do is keep going. You don't have to, like Dr. Martin Luther King, you don't have to see the whole staircase. Mm -hmm. Just take one step at a time and you'll eventually get to the top. So what sustained me in that time was that conscious, positive rap music, which I've dedicated my life to creating, to recording and to conveying to the world. Because no disrespect to anybody that makes different kind of music. How many bottles you pop and women you can have sex with wouldn't have worked that night to right. help me, inspire me. In fact, it would probably make me go in the other direction to follow through with the thoughts that I was having to end my life. Okay. So that's what I, it's different for everybody, but that's what worked for me. Okay. So with that until your music, you started writing music, but what made you uh, write the book, A Hip Hop Tale? Well, actually, I had, I talk about it in the book, in the preface. I had a dream one night, 
and this was why I was incarcerated, of what a world would look like without hip hop, where hip hop was banned. Hmm. Hmm. And that's why it's called, my book is called Illegal Hip Hop Tale, because one night I had a dream where I lived in a world where hip hop was illegal. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! It was against the law mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. talk about it, to sing about it, to write it, to have anything to do with the nine elements of hip hop, which is not, which WAP is only one of those elements. But to have anything do, to do with hip hop carries with it a death sentence. Hmm. Whoa! So when I had that, I was like, that would make a bomb short story. Right. right. And so um, I got in, into a prose writing class with Sherry Register. Um, God rest her soul. She just passed away recently. Mm-hmm. She came to Shakopee. She's a published author. Her book is called The Packing House Daughter, which was on the New York Times bestselling list. Okay. And she came and did a pro advanced prose writing group at Shakopee, mm. which means you had to test to get into the group. Mm-hmm. Okay. You had to write at a certain level to be eligible to participate in that group and I was in there with some bad sisters that was writing that was writing some I was like wow and And so the assignment for that class which we met for three months Mm -hmm. every Saturday for three months was to create a short story and that was the that was the class assignment for those three months and it sounds easy just write a story mm-hmm. spot went to the store he came back and he went to sleep and he lived after her mm-hmm. it sounds simple but she had us go through the beginning middle and end the first month we was just revising writing and then later revising the first part of the story and then the middle part of the story was the second month and then the third part of the story was the conclusion and I I remember that she's like it could be about anything you could write about anything you want so I decided to write a short story about the dream that I had hmm. at the end of the class when she, we had our completed short stories which she took and, and we didn't get them that day the last day of the cast we handed them in and we had kind of like a little farewell get together kind of refreshment thing mm-hmm. and she said she will comment on our stories and mail them back to us to tell them so she wrote my story she wrote comments on it but she took a whole page down there and wrote, this story is amazing. Wow. If you can turn it into a novel, I can get somebody to help you cultivate it and edit for free. Oh, I have wow. a person who teaches. Her name is Mary Gardner. She's also a public author. Mm-hmm. And she teaches at the Loft downtown Minneapolis, okay. a writer's group, novel oh, writing Washington. class. Yeah. And she took my novel and held this gen- held it as a baby. And we worked on that novel for two years. Wow. I would send her a chapter at a time. And mind you, I didn't couldn't afford to copy the pages. So I had to write it twice mm-hmm. just in case my chapter got lost in the mail. Right. And that was my only copy. Mm-hmm. So I wrote and we did this all through correspondence. And then at the end, when it was finally edited and done and completed, I typed it up. And by that time, I had been transferred to the state hospital at St. Peter. Mm-hmm. I typed it up because you could use their, per- their computers for personal reasons. Mm-hmm. And then I mailed it in to uh, Page Publishing who blew my phone off the hook <laughs> saying we want to publish your book it is wonderful we've never there's nothing out like this there has been nothing out like this and so there and the rest is history my book wow. became published does how's very your well book, how's your book doing right now it's doing really good and what is happening right now is i actually have a commercial 
okay. through another podcast that's mm-hmm. uh, uh, Urban X podcast mm-hmm. where they, they had a show where they talked about my book mm-hmm. and um, talked about my story. I wrote them and sent them a copy mm-hmm. and he read it and he loves it. So now when his podcast is coming on, there is, is they created like a little page telling people to get my book. Oh, nice. that's beautiful. Nice. So okay. it's it's been going really well, and it's been it's been doing really well. Especially, I hate to say it in this time mm-hmm. because of the dystopian style of the book and the dystopian nature of the book mm-hmm. theme. It, it that's the theme. Um, uh, Post apocalyptic and pre apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. That the book is more relevant now than it was when I first published it. So you because of what's going on with it. Right. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's right. Okay. okay. So do you want to take us back some of um, what happened prior to you um, being incarcerated and what um, support system we want to speak on mm-hmm. as far as like, you know, when we do things wrong, um, we never know who is gonna be there for yeah. us, right? So at the time that we do something or something happens in our life um, and a, an event turns, it's always usually something either inspiring or tragic at the moment that lead you into path of success because mm-hmm. now you being in the present and you're successful mm-hmm. and um do you want to you know enlighten the um the viewers on what how long you were gone um mm-hmm. what t- was going on in your life at the time mm-hmm. um uh, your kids, um, you know, just mm-hmm. a little bit of history of mm-hmm. what happened or what's going on before your point of your life right now. Right. Well, um, to go back, yeah, uh, I got to put things in the proper context. Okay. So I was a young mom. Mm-hmm. I had just um, had a daughter a couple months, and um, she she was born in 2001, June of 2001. Mm-hmm. And in that time, I had just divorced her dad because I was married to her dad, and also I had an older child by him mm-hmm. who was five at the time that she was born. And I, I know everybody who has been in a long-term relationship, mm-hmm. and when they get to that point where they're happy and they can think about that person and not hurt anymore or not cry or wouldn't care if they saw him with 100 women, I was at that point. And mm-hmm. it was like this whole new world that was opening up to me um, as far as music and getting into certain circles and recording. And I had wrote a song called My King. Mm-hmm. And this was like a futuristic, I'm always going futuristic. That's right. Somebody said, if you want the things that you want, give, give, act as if they're happening right now. And that song, My King, is basically mm-hmm. about, I love you, I, I need you, we, we're so beautiful together, but I haven't met you yet. Okay. And so, um, one day I was at the studio and I was trying to find someone to write a rap verse on that song and, and everybody, I, they wasn't saying what I... 
And then one day my producer, as I was leaving in, another group was come uh, leaving out, another group was coming in. And um this guy, he was like, Hey, get one of them to write one of your songs. They into that king and all that kind of stuff. And so he was like, What song? So I, I sung the song for him. He sat down in the corner with a notepad and wrote a verse and like right there and there. And then I sung the song again and he came in and I was like, they was like, Oh shit, y'all gotta record that. Mm-hmm. So that began uh, a relationship mm-hmm. with uh, this man, mm-hmm. um, the father of my twins. Eventually, I got pregnant with twins. Mm-hmm. But he was a practicing Muslim, so I kind of got into that with him and started wearing the garb. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was working for a, an insurance company in St. Paul as a medical records clerk. Mm-hmm. And so the day I was dressed in my full garb, you mm-hmm. know, Islamic garb, and I was at work, and everybody was gathered around in the back office around this small 13-inch television watching 9-11 happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the people were in tears. People were like, oh, my God, in shock. But the next day when I came into work, it had already been reported that suspected Islamic mm-hmm. extreme terrorists had committed the act. Okay. And here I am in my Muslim garb. Oh, wow. So charts were thrown at me. People, it was a lot of accepted racism and hostility and bigotry against people who were the Islamic faith. And so that day, it was so bad on the job that day. At lunch, I left to go on lunch break and I never came back. And wait a minute, so did someone say... Did they say anything? Yeah, to they were like, personally? oh, fucking these tire heads. We're going to burn them so bad. Oh, and wow. I'm tired of all these people that come to our country and everybody thinks they just because they worship Allah, which is a fake God. You know, a lot of people, and I'm like, well, is anybody sad in hearing this shit? Right. And so nothing was being asked. So I left in tears. Okay. And that was the last job I worked before right. my mental breakdown. So months after that, after being with my twin's father, I was with him, got pregnant almost right away and gave birth to twin sons. He named them Supreme and Sincere. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had them, and then about two weeks after they were born, we basically broke it off. And so wait a minute. Was Do you think that it had anything to do with you leaving from the job? Was How, how was your life at the time, um, I say financially, being as though you were in a space where you weren't going to force yourself to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I commend you for that. And you leaving and then you having newborn, you know, right. babies, you know, yeah. that that was, that was really. He dipped out, like, basically to do his own thing. He never not acknowledged them. He knew they were his children, but he wasn't there like he should have been. Okay. And I'm just going to say that. Um, so what happened is after the birth of my twins, postpartum, Depression. Right. I didn't have postpartum depression. Yeah. I had postpartum psychosis, okay. which is like postpartum depression to the tenth power, along with schizophrenia to the okay. tenth power. So those things to combine it. Because mm-hmm. most mothers say, "Well, I was sad right after having my babies." I didn't. No, I had psychosis where I actually believed I had, had barricaded myself in the house, had the dra- uh, drapes closed all day, watching CNN twenty four seven. Oh wow! The t- reports of the, I was looking for for somebody to say that it wasn't the Islamists or this ain't they fault this mm-hmm. some people but nobody was saying that and they also talked heavily about Guantanamo Bay prison where they was held, holding suspected right. Islamic terrorists yeah. um, who did that and a lot of people and it what I was saying, anybody who had the same last name as one of the hijackers mm-hmm. or was born in the same part of the world as one of the hijackers mm-hmm. were 
bait or were basically like free game. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna put you in here and I heard about the torture and people was calling for Guantanamo Bay to be closed because of the, the torture and the mistreatment of the people who were there. Mm-hmm. Then what happened was one of the women, because my the father of my twins had lots of friends who were in the nation mm-hmm. and I, I used to be around their, their women because okay. the women would all come together while the men mm-hmm. were meeting or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one of the women, the mothers came over to my house and she was crying talking about I can't take this no more I'm taking my kids out of school I'm changing mm-hmm. their names because I'm tired of coming home beat up wow. and all that kind of stuff and being called terrorists mm-hmm. so this is how bad the anti-Islamic sentiment was at the time of 9-11 and it was accepted being right. the Muslim you know right religion. so a lot of people were going through that that people didn't really talk about again something that wasn't mm-hmm. talked about right. only one side of the coin was being tossed okay. so um I was like, damn, is it really this bad? Mm-hmm. And I began to fear for my children because they had Islamic names. Their last name, Allah. Mm-hmm. And I began to fear that if they grew up, they were going to be excused of being terrorists and people were going to try to kill them. Mm-hmm. And all this stuff came into my head. Mm-hmm. And then this was a, as a result of the hormonal imbalance that was had by my body from having my daughter. Because I was, my daughter was only two months old when I got pregnant with the twins. Mm-hmm. Oh. So back to back, having back to back babies yeah. like, that and and plus twins twice the hormonal changes Mm -hmm. and all the things that women go through when they have babies so I started to believe that my family wasn't really my family Mm. some people don't aren't old enough to remember the movie invasion of the body snatchers Mm -hmm. I was thinking that yeah you look like my family but you're really not Mm -hmm. my family you're here to try to make me think I'm crazy when I know y'all trying to kill me and my children Mm -hmm. so it was that thing and what ended up happening um, is the worst thing that can happen to someone who's already in a state of psychosis and depression. Mm-hmm. I found so-called evidence that what I was experiencing hold on, just a second, was actually was actually truly happening. Mm-hmm. I got a hold to this book called The Hold of Pale Horse. Uh-huh. And it's by William C. Cooper. And this the man that wrote this book was a US formal US Naval Intelligence Officer for the US government. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is like his tell all book about the secret societies, the conspiracies, JFK, aliens. Mm-hmm. Just about it. He has documents in here. Mm-hmm. He said that one day he knew he was gonna get killed for releasing this information. He has been killed since then. Uh-huh. So on page 168 of this book mm-hmm. on the third paragraph down I like to show and um, it talks about a program and I'll just read from the book mm-hmm. and it says overpopulation by oh okay Sir Julian Hux, Huxley said overpopulation in my opinion is the most serious thing threat to the whole future of our species. Mm. Since large populations were to be decimated, the ruling elite decided to target undesirable elements of society. Specifically targeted were the black, Hispanic, and homosexual populations. Mm -hmm. The poor homosexuals were encouraged on the one hand and Mm -hmm. scheduled for extinction on the other. The name of this project was called MK Naomi. Whoa. Right there. Wow. So how did you feel? I felt like that was confirmation that I wasn't being crazy, Mm -hmm. that they're trying to kill me and stop me from having babies Mm -hmm. because they want to kill all our babies. They want to kill me. And the MK, I just figured, stood for must kill Naomi. Wow. The worst thing a psychotic person can have is seemingly physical evidence to support their own delusion. Mm -hmm. 
And if you have that, then the people trying to convince me that that's not real, I'm just taking you as agents of the system. You're one of them. Right. Trying to convince me that I'm not, that I'm crazy. When I know I'm not crazy, you're really trying to kill me and my children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So imagine that built up over this time. I had 21 911 calls to my house. I had 12 hospitalizations back and forth to the hospital for psychotic episodes. Right. The doctors even wrote a letter and I should not be around my children, but HIPAA prevented him from letting my family know about my treatment plan and what was going on. Mm-hmm. HIPAA, for those of you who don't know, it's the Health Information Privacy Protection Act, meaning someone cannot share, your doctor or anybody you're dealing with cannot share mm-hmm. what's going on medically with you to another person without right. your permission. Right. The only exceptions to that is if you threaten some, to hurt somebody, and I knew what enough not to say that. Mm-hmm. You know, especially what I've been through with 9-11. Everybody thinks Muslim people and Islamic people are killers. Mm-hmm. Right. So I definitely weren't expressing any kind of hostility, mm-hmm. just a mistrust for the people that whose care I was in. Mm-hmm. So when I read that, that was like confirmation. Mm-hmm. So eventually that led me to believe that, you know what, instead of them waiting for them to kick in my door and drag us out and kill us, privately and say it was something else Mm -hmm. I'm going to end my life and the life of my children publicly Mm -hmm. and I'm going to do it myself in a more loving way and I figure if I didn't they were going to kill them slowly and torture them like they were doing those prisoners at Guantanamo Bay Mm -hmm. so on July 4th 2003 I drove my car to the taste of Minnesota put my twins in a stroller, walked down the Wabasaw Street to the Wabasaw Street Bridge and threw my twins, 14-month-old twins, into the Mississippi River and then jumped in after them. Someone jumped in, an innocent bystander, jumped in, saved my one of my sons and me, and my son, sincere understanding, Allah died. He drowned. Okay. So that prompted them to convict me of murder and second degree murder. I was sentenced to 19 years in prison. I served 15 of those years and was just released uh, a few years ago. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, God forgives you. Yes. And um, I say that you are really, strong. really strong woman yes, just is. to even be able to let us know from your pers- perspective mm-hmm. on what you was going through at that time, you know? Um, we live in a society to where we're constantly judged um, and we're constantly, even with self, even being strong, making it to where we want to fit in. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Where Regardless of what... Uh, I, a group of people you're trying to get with or be associated with mm-hmm. and just you being able to help who comes after you and just being able to express you know your feelings and your thought process at the time to your family you know because I'm pretty sure that at the time you were going through it and that situation happened um, you know you've had family friends saying like why you know what why did you do that and at that moment, I know you couldn't really answer the answer that they wanted to give. Mm-hmm. You, They wanted you to have. Mm-hmm. Well, let me say that. And so, just how you explained it, um, it's giving us, you know, I have 
people in my family that, you know, suffer from mental illness and friends right now, presently, someone that is going through this right now. Mm -hmm. So for you to express it, you did a wonderful. No, I she mean, put it in perspective yes. very well. Yeah, I mean, I could see, especially with what you just read out of the book. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Okay. With um, and just everything that you was going through at that time, and being young mom. You know what I'm saying? Having kids, and so I just appreciate you for you know tell, letting you. us, allowing us to even you know question you or right. you know for you to tell your story I right. greatly appreciate thank it you, thank you so when you um, was getting released from Shakopee did you get released from Shakopee or you went somewhere else right what happened with me is uh, rarely happens in people's cases like what happened to me so basically um, a lot of racism is in the system we all know mm-hmm. that yes but it's in every area of the system so what happened was I was caught charged on the criminal end for um, uh, murder and second-degree murder I was charged on that end but I also was committed on the civil side of things okay. and I was committed as MIND and what that stands for I was committed as mentally ill and dangerous okay. by the civil courts so that meant a lifetime commitment to Department of Human Services, which is the state hospital. Mm-hmm. So at the time of my, at simultaneous, at the same time that I was being charged criminally, I was also being committed civilly, civil okay. commitment. Mm-hmm. And so when I was sentenced to prison, I was did my, did my time in prison. And after my time was up, I had to immediately, after I was transferred, to the state hospital for mental health treatment. Okay. And what that is, that's an indefinite commitment. Mm-hmm. They don't ever have to let you out. Whoa. It is no timeline. It is no release date. It is none of that. It is when the people, the doctors, and your treatment team decide that it's okay for you to leave. And I don't see why they so, even made her dangerous yeah. because when we did our time together, she was just the sweetest person in there. Mm-hmm. She took care of her business. She, you know, she didn't bother anyone. She went to school. She did everything she's supposed to do. You know what I'm saying? It's like so you I just got did, two sentences. It, yeah, it was. Wow. Mm-hmm. How did you overcome and, first of all, get out of that? Like... Well, um, I'm one of those people that are really, really resilient. Mm -hmm. And I'm that because I have the love and support of my family. First of all, let me say how much and how much that matters to have Mm -hmm. a support system Mm -hmm. of the family that I had. I have never walked into a courtroom alone. Mm-hmm. All Amen. the cues were Amen. filled up. Okay. They was in there like it was a sports <laughs> arena. Okay. Yes. You know, and I've never had to go through that alone. Amen. And they gathered around to help raise my remaining children and keep them all together and keep them to know. And then keeping my son with pictures of me and telling him the story that he was growing up. So he wouldn't have, well, I hate my mom because she tried to kill me. Luckily, my son does not remember any any of that because he was a baby mm-hmm. but he still had questions along the way and so my mom kept records and medical anything any questions he wanted to answer and they had firsthand experiences of my episodes because they were there and calling 911 to come get me so it's like it's they were there watching mm-hmm. me and they like y'all not helping her y'all not helping mm-hmm. her and so it was so awful because they didn't know what it was to do right they didn't know what to do they were doing the best they can with what they had mm-hmm. and so when my sister stepped in 
to raise my children. She stepped up. She was 21 years old. She doesn't have any children, didn't have any at the time. She was in school and she was in a studio apartment with her then boyfriend. And she didn't bat an eye. They needed okay. the kids going foster care. Uh-uh. Bring, bring my niece and nephew here. Amen. And I ain't got nowhere for them to stay. They're going to make a pallet okay. on the floor and work it out. Yes, we will. And oh so that's what she Thank did. And I had sister. to. Oh, my, my God. I, I, I got to let you hear my song, my shout out. It's called Shout Out. And I'm mm-hmm. talking about my family in there. Mm-hmm. But, um. Yeah, so that support was paramount, I got to tell you. The level of resiliency I had was paramount. The practice at taking myself out of horrible situations and putting myself in other worlds through through literature, through Mm -hmm. books, reading. Mm -hmm. Everybody, when they saw me, I always had a damn book. She had a book and the the, uh, dictionary. (laughs) (laughs) She's just a smart cookie girl, I'm Mm -hmm. telling you. I'm telling you. Yeah, so living in the projects, just just, uh, on a side note, and growing up in the south side of Chicago in the Robert Taylor projects mm-hmm. and only having to can't go outside to play because gay people yeah. killing people Shooting. snatching kids all kind of stuff mm-hmm. so I'm left in the house with the only the freedom of my own imagination mm-hmm. and I used to read books to take me to the other worlds <laughs> and I right. like, do use that as escape mm-hmm. and so that still stayed with me all my life so when I was in prison mm-hmm. I just dove into books and mm-hmm. transported and escaped out of there through the power of my own consciousness in my mind so that's one of the things that helped me another two nobody's successful alone I had help when mm-hmm. people saw I was the, I wasn't who I who everybody mm-hmm. was making me out oh mm-hmm. she cool as heck yeah mm-hmm. and being a librarian helping people yes. with find books helping people look up case law and mm-hmm. sentencing guidelines for mm-hmm. their own case that caused my star to rise in the, in the sense that I had respect from people from both my peers and staff because mm-hmm. they knew I wasn't on bullshit and right. then you saw me help so having that and living my life and basically service while in prison, mm-hmm. my, I got that from my mom. Take your mind off yourself. Go help somebody that don't right. have what you have. Right. And that's what I did the whole time I was there. Mm-hmm. And that eventually helped me to be resilient and realize how grateful I was. Mm-hmm. Because I'm going to tell you, I was in there for killing my son and trying to kill the other one. Mm-hmm. But some women were just in there for drugs and they were snatching them parental rights like they was mm-hmm. going out of style. Right. And got their kids taken and couldn't see them, couldn't know who had them, mm-hmm. what was going on in with them, where they were at, or how they were doing. Right. Yeah. And I had a worse crime with my kids, but I was blessed enough to have family to mm-hmm. take over my kids yeah. and not take my parental rights from my children. Mm-hmm. I still to this day and before did not have my parental rights taken mm-hmm. from my son or my two uh, oldest children. I did not, and my family fought for me to keep my parental rights, That's which right. is why I'm able to see my children today. Right. So it, it, I can't say it emphasize enough how much support matters mm-hmm. to right. someone's success. Yes, mm-hmm. and I and I got so emotional um, right now because when you talk about your sister, you mm-hmm. know, stepping up in place. Um, my mom, she stepped up in place, took my kids. Um, I had. I did. I was like 18 months away from Minnesota, mm-hmm. and I just broke down on the phone. She immediately come straight to Texas to bring the kids to see me. Mm-hmm. So I definitely know how you feel mm-hmm. as far as support. That's so important. Like if a person has support, like you can get through anything. You yeah, know what I'm saying? You can. And that's just. 
such a blessing that your sister, no, man, you know, or just your family as a whole, because it takes a village mm-hmm. to, you know, know inside that, okay, doing this time is easy because I know my kids are okay. And I could call mm-hmm. them anytime. How was yes. school? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yes, I definitely. So, and that's an instance of respect, which helped me get through. So just having those, that support and having the coping skills that I've had basically all my life Mm -hmm. to deal with problems and also uh, getting the proper medication. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was good. Healthcare, getting mental wellness, seeing a therapist in Shakopee. That's why I didn't feel the need to go back to St. Peter, but... I didn't know my Prince Charming waited for me. Okay, on the other side. On the other side. So, yes, Lord. Who um, loves me and we first healthy relationship I've been in. Um, I didn't. We were in love and didn't make love for a year because we couldn't. But okay. we built the foundation of friendship and just talking. We have fun. We we talk. We laugh. We watch movies. We had and my my life is really centered. My husband. He helps me when I go to speak. Him and my son are at my table where I sell my books. Mm-hmm. He does the cash transaction. <laughs> okay. My That's son right. does the credit card transactions That's when right. people are buying my books. So mm-hmm. hubby's there as slash security. Slash Slash support slash right. cashier. That's right, all around. <laughs> all that show. Right. So he has really, really been a strong, strong support for me. Mm-hmm. Right. And I feel so blessed to have him. Right. And I feel blessed with this relationship, which is what that song was about. It was just written. It was just with the wrong person. Mm-hmm. I thought it was that person, but no. I wrote my king years right. before I met him. That's right. And in describing the relationship in that song that I wish I had exactly. with somebody yeah. that I didn't have, mm-hmm. but now I do. So. That's right. Hey, not okay. Well, we have this segment um, at um, when we're rounding up um, at the end, and it's called the shoe. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> it can be funny or it could be like a lesson. So it's just your mindset of like, I would say, since you've been home, mm-hmm. it has there been a time where you felt like now if they do this, I might, I'm going to end up going back. Like, you know, mm-hmm. someone being disrespectful mm-hmm. or a situation where you prevented someone from going, <laughs> being locked up. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just like, since you've been home, mm-hmm. um, can you give the viewers um, a shoe moment? A shoe moment, right. I would say. I got a perfect one. Okay. So, uh, as a, eventually, when I was at the hospital, mm-hmm. towards the end of my time, I was getting passes home on the weekend, mm-hmm. which my sister and her boyfriend slash fiance was come drive out to St. Peter, mm-hmm. pick me up, and I'll be at her house for the weekend because she still got my kids. My kids will come over there. She lives in the same building. My mom also lives in her apartment building, so it's kind of mm-hmm. like go with sis, chill with her. Well, at the time, they had got a new cat. Okay. <laughs> right? They got a new cat, uh-huh. and the cat was gnawing on stuff and chewing on stuff. So, all that. I'm playing with the cat. He's so cute, small, just like him mm-hmm. and stuff. And so, I to say, to before I go there, my mom was on drugs real bad when mm-hmm. I was little, and she also had a boyfriend that was very abusive. Mm-hmm. So, the sound of glass breaking or people's walls bumping, that's uh-huh. triggering for me. I'd be like, oh, shit, somebody right, fighting. Right. You know, like that. So... 
Um, I had went to bed. I took my bed meds because they made me tired and go to sleep. Right. So my my sister and her husband were in the living room, and I heard I heard a glass break, and I'm like, oh! I heard I didn't wake up. I'm like, oh, oh shit! I'm going back to prison because it just like hit my sister. Right. I started pushing. I said, I'm going to jail. That's slow motion. I'm going to jail. That's right. I'm going to jail. But my sister caught him. She, he, I said, you can't be making no noise like that. Naomi thing. We traumatized by glass breaking and shit. You got to stop. So I'm like, I came out there. I heard her say, I was like, you good? Oh, okay. That's right. Because like, you're about to get fucked up, buddy. Okay. You oh, want okay. CCG. Okay. I got up out of the bed. like, oh. Oh gosh. Okay. I thank you. I thank you for just letting us um sit here and discuss your story. Might end up doing a part two, you know, yes. come back and do something else. But please give the viewers the name of your book and we will put it in our comments and stuff. And if they, okay. if people want other questions, want to ask questions, they can you know email us and and give out all your social media yes. handles. Right. Okay. Your YouTube station, all that. Okay, so everything, everything, my email, um, my YouTube, uh, my, my email, and my Facebook page, and my book is under my artist name, which is NG, capital N dot, capital G dot, Young, Y-O-U-N-G. The name of my book is called Illegal, a hip-hop tale, and it is available on Amazon.com and it's also available on barnesandnoble.com so you can get it on there again capital n dot capital g dot young y-o-u-n-g a legal a hip-hop tale it is a book a dystopian novel about what a world would look like if hip-hop was against the law okay so that's what that's about so you can hit me up on ng young is illegal so NGN is illegal altogether. No spaces on dots for the email address. That's also my Facebook, NGN is illegal, and my Instagram, NGN is illegal. So you can reach me on there. Reach out, get the book, and more importantly, you guys just stay strong out there. I like to dedicate this episode to the women that I love and did time with who are still in Shakopee fighting that fight and struggling. I love y'all. I know y'all probably will never hear this podcast until you out, but I just want you to know we standing strong with you. We waiting for you. We miss you, and yes. your family loves you, and you got family within me. If nobody is your family, and we can't wait till you come home. Home. hold it down I love you and God bless yes thank you so much thank you thank you for tuning in to another episode of Meet the Shoe every Monday morning Woo!